0: Fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me again this week, the third time this week. Hope you're all enjoying your off season and thank you for tuning in to the third installment of our What If scenarios. I appreciate you doing so. I thank you for everyone that sent in the What If scenarios thus far and appreciate those that I still got left to go through. We'll do that today, as I sort of alluded to last time around. These are more focused on the current team going forward. But like I said before on the previous episodes, if you haven't listened to part one and part two just yet, Maybe hit pause and listen to those ones first and have a listen to me go through some what-if scenarios over the previous 20 years of the franchise. Let's let's call it that. All the way from 1994 all the way through 2014, 15, and 16. I've gone through a few range of what-if scenarios that the listeners have sent in from those periods of time. So from the Jordan era, from the early Kraus rebuilding era, from Derek Rose through the three Alphas, Jimmy Butler, Carmelo Anthony, all of that. Go listen to that on part one, and parts two. But today we're focusing on the current iteration of the balls and the rebuild that's currently on hand. So let's get stuck into that and I want to answer those what-ifs and we can start with this one from Lord Bat. He asks, What if February was not a fluke, but the tankless month Garpax gave Boylan to prove his worth an extension? So I certainly hope it's not a fluke, Lord Bat. They played really well in February, particularly Marking and Levine, and it coincided with the acquisition of Otto Porter, but really the story was Markin and Levine playing like all-stars. So, I mean, there's a lot of hype around that February period and, and fair enough. And if we're able to discern anything from that or hope for anything of that, if it's for these guys to hopefully grow their game to what they did over February for a full entire season. And if they can do that, then it's not a fluke. But let's be real here. The Bulls weren't actually that good in February. They won half of their games, but it was only a 10-game sample. And I know people constantly mention and refer to that 10-game sample, but it literally was all that, a 10-game sample where the team went 5-5. and as we know this regular season is 82 games so basically what we're asking is the team to replicate what they did in February so win half their games over an 82 game season whilst putting forward a top 2 offense I I don't think that's likely For so from that perspective it kind of was a fluke and I bought into the hype probably too quickly. I obviously loved what I saw from Zach Levine and, and Larry and I, I don't know if if what, what they produced in February is something we should expect over an entire season. I mean, Larry Markkinen averaged 26 points and 12 rebounds and looked like he was a future all-star. And, and maybe he will be that, but I, I don't know if it's going to come as quickly as what I thought during that February month. I was probably just reveling in the fact that we we're actually seeing some positive basketball in a change of, during the season that was clearly an absolutely terrible and hard and arduous season to sort of sit through so I probably got, I was a bit of a victim of the circumstance or a victim of the moment because we had been sort of exposed to so much bad basketball that all of a sudden we're seeing the the same Bulls play competent basketball and we're just getting sucked into maybe thinking that this is the real team going forward but In reality, all it is is a 10-game sample, and I hope that 10-game sample can be extrapolated over an 82-game sample, but at the same time, the reality is it's it's a really small sample size, so who knows? But... I mean, the reality is there's a big delta between 82 games and 10 games. So we have to take that in, in into consideration. But really the story of February was the fact that there was a marketed improve, improvement on offense. And the Bulls had jumped up from 26 on offensive rating in January to 2nd in February, which is just insane to happen when you don't make those kind of leaps just purely on talent alone, surely there has to be some sort of shot variation or some sort of variance in there that would would account for some of that. So we have to consider that to a degree that the balls maybe just got hot for a ten game sample and just were playing really amazingly just for for ten games. I think what they did was positive. I think there's some elements of that that are replicable, but to jump from say the twenty sixth off ranked ranked offense to the second offense, when you see that, you should be There should be alarm bells ringing to a degree because that's just such a huge shift. It's such a huge identity shift that you have to question if it's real. But... When you take a step back and and have a look at it, you have to wonder if it was just simply a hot stretch because after all, we're just talking about 10 games and the thing that rarely gets mentioned about this sort of 10 game sample and apart from me yelling about it all the time and I'm sure I've I've annoyed enough people with it and I'll repeat myself is whilst we focus so much on the offense of what we saw, if we're doing that at the same time and when believing what we saw on offense wasn't a fluke, then does that mean that we don't believe what we saw on defense either? Or do we believe that? I don't know. The Bulls were ranked 26th in defense during that month. They gave up 116.3 points per 100 possessions in February. Now, if you take that number and apply it over the entire season, that would be ranked 29th over the entire season. So, If we're going to say that what we saw on offense is true and is replicable, does that mean the defense also? is what we're going to be served up next season. Now, the obvious retort to that is, well, the Bulls were without Wendell Carter Jr. and Chandler Hutchinson, which is fair. Those two guys have played some good defense, particularly as rookies. But the point is they're still young players. Are they going to impact your defense that much? Uh, to a degree yes but not that much where you're going to be jumping up from 26th or or 29th over an entire season up towards you know midway through the pack I I don't think that's fair to put that expectations on two young guys one of them being uh, Wendell Carter Jr who's just turned 20 so I I think that's been a bit unfair so I guess my point is this if, if people want to say that February wasn't a fluke and what we saw on offense is a sign of what's to come then using the same logic a bottom five defense or a, or a bad defense is a sign of things to come too. So maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe Wendell Carter coming back changes that. But personally, I think whilst there were great signs in February and aspects that I do envision carrying out over the next season, in no way do I think the Bulls are going to be a top two offense next season as they were in February. I think that's unrealistic. I think it's unrealistic to think Mark and going to be a 26 and 12 kind of guy next season. That's what he did in February, he won't do that over an entire season, so in that sense I do think it was a bit of a fluke, however I will concede that the rotation looked far more balanced, that's what happens when you trade out redundant pieces like Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis for a needed wing like Porter. so I expect the Bulls to be much better next season should the injuries stay away, but I did not buy into what we saw into February carrying over an entire season, so... While that month of February was exciting and fun and it was a welcome reprieve from the crap that we had to put up with, I'm not ready to sit here and say that's what's going to be the norm moving forward. And I hope the Bulls didn't base that 10-game sample as to the decision-making they put forth in terms of Jim Boylan's extension. I'm hoping they're not being that short-sighted and, and making the decision purely based on that, but... um. Yeah, if you're asking me now, Lord Bat, I would say that that February month was more so a fluke than what we're actually going to be served up next season. But I hope I'm very much wrong. But moving on to the next what if, this one comes in from Josh. He asks, what if the Bulls get Zion? Well, we're going to find out very soon, Josh. But um, if we do get Zion, it's pretty simple. What we do is we break some shit. And um, whatever is closest to you, whether it's your lamp, whether it's your computer, whether it's your phone, whatever it is, just pick it up and throw it against the wall. Not in rage, but just in pure life-changing bliss. Just break some stuff. Put on some extreme metal and just bounce around and go nuts or or, or don't. It's, it's, it's up to you. It's purely up to you. But that's basically what I'm going to be doing. Seriously though, it changes everything. If we think about what Rose did To this franchise in 2008. I think we should expect something more from Zion even in 2019. That's how good this guy is. He's that good. He's that, he's got that superstar potential this franchise needs. And it's currently what this franchise is without. So if the Bulls land Zion, you've got the best young player in the NBA, or arguably the best young player in the NBA, walking through your doors of your franchise. And beyond that, you've also got one of the most marketable guys going around so not bad for a team in a big market and certainly not bad for a team that's going to be hosting the all-star game next season in February so I can hear the Reinsdorf's counting their dollars already if the Bulls do land Zion so but on the court you just work it out and see what you have in time I think Zion is good enough to handle the ball and run the offense but he's not a starting point guard so I, look, personally, I think eventually eventually he'll be a power forward, which probably forces you at some point to pick between Zion, Martin and Carter, but in the interim, you just see what you have. You have Zion, and that's all that matters, and you just sort of work it out between him and Lowry and, and Wendell Carter as to whether Zion can play some small forward and, and leave Lowry and, and Wendell in their natural positions at power forward and center, or if that doesn't work, then you maybe you try Zion at power forward, Lowry at center, and have Wendell coming off the bench, or... I don't know, you just mix it up and just see what you have. But obviously, if you land Zion, it's the best possible problem to have. It also means, unfortunately, that Garpaks probably continue in their jobs for the next 10 years. But I guess that's the cost of doing business and landing Zion. But that assumes they obviously do a good job in building around Zion. But by having Zion, the spotlight will be on the team. So you could argue that if they don't do a good job around building Around Zion, there's going to be so much coverage around that team. Any any team that gets Zion is going to have so much coverage. And if the Bulls do happen to land him, and they'll be on national TV almost every other game, even as a rebuilding team, everyone will want to watch Zion. Like I said, he's going to be the mo- one of the most marketable players in the NBA. So, the spotlight will be on the Bulls that they'll have to build the, the team properly around him. And if they don't, the torches will be out. So. You know, maybe maybe it does expedite GARPAX's exit. I, I don't know, but um, I would say I'd be pointing to them having the job for life if they do land Zion. But if, like I said, if that's the cost of getting Zion, I'm prepared to pay it right now. But let's just get Zion. Let's hope it happens. If it happens, everyone is richer. We the fans, the Bulls on-court product, the Dolph's too. Their wallets get a lot fatter by having Zion walk through those doors. But ultimately, we the fans benefit the most from having a player like Zion wearing that Bulls jersey. There's absolutely no downside to it at all. The exciting part is in a few days we'll find out if it actually materializes. Fingers crossed that it does. I'm 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 praying that it does. But we'll find out in a couple of days if it actually happens. But um, yeah, let's just let's just get Zion. Let's get Zion. Moving on to the next what-if scenario, this one comes in from Donnie Seals and he asks, what if the Bulls won the lottery and the Mavs jumped up to the second pick and then the Mavs call the Bulls willing to trade the second overall pick for Larry marketing Would you do it? This one... I'm totally into this question. I love it. It's completely fantasy type question, but that's exactly what this entire show, this segment is about. That's why we're asking these what if questions. And this one I had to think a little bit on, but my initial reaction was, and maybe I'm in the minority for thinking this, but my initial reaction was I'm prepared to do that deal. And I'm sure there's some listeners that are probably listening thinking I'm absolutely crazy for wanting to trade Larry Markkinen for any non-Zion pick in this draft. But I thought about it this way. Basically, what you're doing is you're acquiring the top two picks in this draft, which we'll just call in this instance Zion and Ja Morant, for Larry Markkinen. Now, obviously, it's not a direct swap because you have your own pick, but you're walking away with Zion and potentially Jar Morant and you're adding them to the roster whilst only really losing Larry Markkinen. That's effectively what the proposition is and I don't know about you guys, but I'm totally into this scenario because of that reason. Now, I have no idea if the Mavericks would actually want to do this. It probably doesn't make sense for them at all, given that there's maybe some crossover between Larry Markkinen and Kristaps Porzingis in what they do. But having said that, if you could have Luka Doncic in pick and roll with Larry Markkinen and then you add Kristaps Porzingis to that as well, it gets pretty interesting for the Mavs too. So who knows, maybe they'd be into it too. But the reason why I'm really into it is because I'm super high on Wendell Carter's future to the point where I actually think he's probably, I, I I I'm again, I'm probably in the minority in thinking this, but I think he's got the potential to be the best player on this bull squad of the players that are currently on the roster. So I'm kind of high on Wendell more so than a lot of people. So if you factor in that into this variable here, then I'm cool with settling in with putting Zion in power forward and matching him next to, uh, Wendell Carter Jr. And just having those guys absolutely completely destroy opposing offenses on defense. Can you think about the defense that you have with those two? It would be slightly undersized, but those two move their feet so well. They're ha- they're ahead of their years in terms of defensive nous and IQ already, and just their ability to switch and move their feet. You could really be, (laughs) you could really form an impressive defense with Wendell Carter Jr. at center with Zion William next to him. I mean, the rim protection would be off the charts. You'd be able to defend pick and roll quite easily. So I'm totally into it for that reason. But you, by getting in Ja Morant too, you solve your point guard situation too. So suddenly you're looking at a lineup where you got Ja Morant and Zach Levine in your backcourt, Otto Porter is small forward. And then like I mentioned before, Wendell Carter Jr. and Zion Williamson up front. I mean, that's pretty damn good. Obviously, the risk in doing that is you forego the opportunity of seeing what you can have with Zion, Lowry, and, and uh, Wendell Carter Jr., but to me, that's kind of top-heavy, and in a league where you probably want to play more perimeter guys and you want to do, have big guys, I think ultimately Zion is going to be a power forward, maybe even a small ball center at times, so... I think the Bulls in that situation would be top heavy and would ultimately come to a situation where they'd need to part ways with one of them. It's not gonna be Zion, so it's a question of who do you who do you get rid of? Larry marketing and Wendell Carter Jr. And I think Larry marketing could net you the second pick in this draft, whereas you're trading Wendell Carter, you're probably not getting the second pick in this draft. So I'm kinda of into this deal for that exact reason. I, I I think it really completes your lineup thus far. And just pairing Morant and Zion, two guys that have had a history together, they came up together. They work extremely hard. If there's one player that works harder than Zion in this draft, it might just be Ja Morant. And just having those two together, suddenly you've, you've got a super athletic team with Ja Morant and Zach Levine in the back on it and Zion Williamson at power forward. I mean, could you just imagine a situation where Zion and, and, and Wendell Carter are leading stops and then you get out in transition and then all of a sudden you've got Ja Morant leading a break with Zach Levine and Zion Williamson streaming down the lanes while Otto, Otto Porter and uh, Wendell Carter sort of stop and pop in transition. I mean, that would be damn scary. So if the expense in doing that is literally just Larry Markin and then I'm into it, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people that probably wouldn't be given that for a lot of people, Lowry is the best prospect on this roster, but Donnie, I'm totally into this dude. So I appreciate you sending this in and don't think it's crazy. Well, it's not, at least it's not crazy to me. I, I'm totally into it, uh, but I'd be interested to hear what other people think about that. Hit me up on Twitter at M- MK Hoops and let me know what you think of Donnie's proposal there. But let's move on to the next question. But before I do that, let me tell you about this week's sponsor, which is Harry's. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com forward slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set which includes a 5 blade razor with lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors, it's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's brought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com forward slash bluewire. All of Harry's Blaze come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com forward slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. The next what if comes in from frustrated underscore Bulls fans. So I'm pretty sure his username is going to tell the uh, the story of the uh, or at least the tone of what his question is. And, and he asks, what if you wake up tomorrow to news that gar packs have been fired along with Jim Boylan? Who's interviewing and ultimately taking over? Wow, I mean, obviously we know that's not happening because uh, Jim Boylan has just signed his extension. So that's not happening any anytime soon. But like I said before, if that happens, it's going to be a pure blissful moment. If I was to wake up and Garpax were fired along with Jim Boylan, I would be a very happy boy. But that isn't happening anytime soon. But... I guess the real question here is if Garth is fired as well as Jim Boylan, I'm going to have to assume that there's different ownership in place because there's no way the Reinsdorfs are firing Garth as well as Jim Boylan, so... Is it okay if I assume that there's a new ownership group taking over as well? And in this case, maybe it's Oprah and Barack Obama having a minority share or someone else that's influential in the Chicago scene that's got a lot of dollars that can sort of buy this team off the Rhine stuff. I don't know, but I'm gonna I'm gonna factor this into this situation. But I mean being serious for a second, I honestly don't know where to start with this question, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that we as outsiders, as fans, we it's it's hard to make a call on who should be the best or who the best options are for GM and, and, and who the best options are to run basketball operations because it's harder for us to know that because it, it's a lot easier for us to discern if a player is good or bad or if they're a superstar or not. Even with the coaching, whilst we don't see all aspects of coaching, we get a better view of that. Whereas I guess with management, all we really know is their transactions and how they operate from that point of view. But in terms of finding replacements like we just saw Gerson Rosas sort of take over the job in Minnesota so he's worked under Daryl Morey for years we assume that he's going to be really good based on his pedigree but what happens if he's not I mean Jim Boylan coached under Greg Popovich in San Antonio so I assumed when he was coming over to the Bulls that he came over with a lot of pedigree but obviously time changes opinions of all so I don't know, it's it's kind of hard to sit here and say who would be the best candidates, particularly if they're inexperienced guys that have never had a job. So in that sense, it's hard to say this coach that's currently assistant for a, for a current team would be the right solution for the coach or the Bulls or this ex- executive who might be an assistant GM at another team would be a great GM for the Bulls. We can't really say that with any authority. So what I would say is, Based on track record, swing big for guys that you do know are good. Masai Ujiri, for example, in Toronto, he's done great things in Denver and in Toronto. I mean, if if I've got a new ownership in place, open your checkbook up and go and get Masai Ujiri or someone of that nature who can come in. He's going to shake things up and make sure that he's going to do every damn thing he can to make sure this basketball product is a lot better. Maybe Dave Yeager as a coach, you know what he's done as a coach when you know ignoring assistant coaches that we currently don't know too much about. We do know what Dave Yeager did in Memphis, and we do know what he did in Sacramento with a young team. He you had them playing fast and playing quick. That's the way the bulls should be playing so maybe if you could add Jamarat in the draft and you add a coach like Dave Yeager, then I don't know the Bulls could really play a king style like offense and could really be getting up and down the floor playing an interesting brand of basketball but Obviously, Dave Yager is not walking through the the doors in reality, but in this what if scenario, then that's appealing to me as well. But like I said, frankly, outside of the known coaching commodities and the known executive commodities, it's kind of hard to say. So I I guess that's a little bit of a cop out on my part. But in reality, if I can use that word, given that we're playing what if, I, I don't really know the answer to it. I don't know the answer to it, but I'm sure there are some good assistant coaches out there. I mean, we see it all the time. Coach Bud in Milwaukee, he coached under Greg Popovich. Brett Brown in Philadelphia, he was under Popovich. And I understand that's where Jim Boylan came from too, but I'm not necessarily high on Boylan, but I mean, Kenny Atkinson as well. He coached under Bart in Atlanta. He's done a great job in Brooklyn. There's a, there's a host of examples where assistants become great NBA coaches. But for me, it's, it's kind of hard to identify them from my vantage point, I guess is what I'm saying. But I do know this. Anyone but Jim Boylan. That's, that's my official position. <laughs> but, uh, moving on. This one comes in from Gabe Diaz. He asks, the one that no one talks about. What if our young core are mediocre or inconsistent? Uh, well, I mean, I don't believe this young core is me- mediocre. So I have my issues with the Bulls. I have my my critiques, but I don't necessarily—they're not necessarily placed on the young players. I'm actually kind of content with where where this young core is is sort of situation. I have faith in Levine and Markin and Carter in terms of being good players. I don't know if that core wins you a title anytime soon. And maybe even even if you add in Otto Porter and a non-Zion pick, I don't know if that grouping of players gets you a title. But I don't know. I think they could top out as a fifty-win team. To some people, that might be mediocre, but to me, assuming they're playing a good brand of basketball, they're playing a connected style of basketball where they're all going out there playing hard, in the city, well, then I'm into that team. But here's the rub. That's not good enough. And I say that's not good enough because that's not the standards that have been set by Paxson. And I say that because he chose to rebuild because he wanted to win titles. They were literally his words. He didn't want to get stuck in the middle despite that's what Bulls have been living for the previous several seasons. He wanted to win championships and that's why he traded Jimmy Butler and that's why he made the rebuild, to do so, to win championships. So if that's the base expectations that's been set by Paxson, and he's on record in saying that, then that's what I have to assume. So if you're going to trade a player like Jimmy Butler, who is definitely an all-star player, an all-NBA caliber player, a guy who if you're built around him properly can lead you to a 50-win team, If you get rid of that player to enter a rebuild, I'm going to need something a little bit more than replicating exactly what you could have with Jimmy Butler if you just had a little bit more patience, didn't waste your assets on those sorts of things. So a 50-win team that may, you know, win some first rounds, may even get to the second round, but doesn't necessarily advance too much further than that. I, I don't know if that's going to be good enough for me, which I know sounds hypocritical because in the past I've said I would enjoy rooting for those types of teams, but you have to factor in where the Bulls have sort of got to. It's a very different situation where you had the Baby Bulls winning 49 games versus maybe this squad that we're currently watching winning 49 games because that team that won 49 games in 2006 or whatever it was, that came from Paxson redoing or retooling the rebuild, the failed rebuild under Krauss. So he turned a piece of crap into something that turned out to be pretty damn good that defied a lot of expectations. They were never winning a title, but it was a fun team to root for. Whereas now you're sort of gone from a situation where the Rose years collapsed, Joachim Noah sort of went to the New York Knicks. He was saved by Jimmy Butler turning into an all NBA caliber player when he really had no business doing so, given he was the 30th overall pick. You had that type of player and you wasted it. You traded it to rebuild and you, you come out only with a 50 ish win team. I mean, to me, that's not good enough, but I mean, Zion maybe changes everything. Maybe he does, and maybe he's a bull in a couple days' time. And if he is, then that changes the entire fortunes of this franchise. So I'm not going to sit here and say that these current bulls are mediocre because I I don't think they are. I think they're good players. I think they're going to be good players. I don't think they're going to be inconsistent players. I, I think if we're talking about the main pieces, that is Levine, Lowry, Wendell Carter, Otto Porter Jr., these are good players. The rest of the squad, not so much, but I think you can build a good team with this, with these current group of bulls i don't know if good is good enough given the implications of what came before it but like i said you add zion to the to the core and i mean that changes everything so fingers crossed fingers crossed i've said that a couple times haven't i uh the next what if comes in from connor he asks what if the bulls are around three or four in the draft and they choose to trade the pick for lonzo ball as they were rumored to be interested in ball lakers can u- then use that pick in the anthony davis trade since lonzo didn't want to be part of the Pelicans. he also mentions that the uh the, La- the lamar and boylan interactions would be um kind of elite which <laughs> i mean that would be absolutely hilarious Like uh, you add you, c- you can add gar packs into that too as well i mean that would be absolute chaos so <laughs> if you thought reggie rose was bad imagine adding lavar ball into the mix oh my god that would be quite uh quite amusing but honestly despite this not being the best draft i really hope the bulls don't do the trade that you just proposed there, Connor. And the reason why I say that, even though I like Lonzo Ball, I think he could be really good in Chicago. I, I've definitely wanted him in Chicago, uh, as recently as a few months ago. I, I really like his IQ, his defense, his ability to make life easier for Marketing and Carter, which I think is, is just you know, super important when you're rebuilding around two young bigs to have a guard that can actually get them the ball is kind of important. So a playmaker like Lonzo Ball makes a lot of sense for this team. But that said, I don't think Ball is worth a top five pick or anything close to that at the moment because his shot mechanics are so bad and that bears out in his shooting percentages. He's also been injured quite a bit. Those ankle issues scare me quite a bit. So whilst I'd like to add Ball to the roster... I wouldn't be wanting willing to do it for the third or fourth pick in the draft if it came if 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 the deal was something like Chris Dunn and a you know a protected first round pick, maybe a top ten protected first round pick, something like that. I would do that, but I would definitely not be trading say the third pick in this draft for Lonzo Ball because I think you could probably get a little bit more for the third pick in this draft, and I, I don't believe in paying overs for a guy just because he can. And I think Ball's value is kind of compressed right now, so I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be into trading the third pick for Alonzo Ball. I'd rather just add someone like Jared Culver or DeAndre Hunter or or even RJ Barrett and just add them to the squad, see what you can do. Or if a young point guard is a must, maybe bring in Darius Garland if that's the go. I don't, I don't know exactly who I would draft with say the third or fourth pick, but I probably wouldn't be trading it for. For Alonzo Ball, who I don't think is worth a top five pick in this draft right at the moment, because I think he's I think he can be better than those guys, but I think his value is just compressed to the point where he's not worth it. So I'm not going to give it up. But in the trade that I sort of just proposed there, where you can, maybe you can shift Chris Dunn and a protected first round pick in say 2020, and you get back Ball in that instance. You know, a Ball, Levine, Porter, marketing and Wendell Carter lineup's pretty good. And then you have that third, fourth pick coming off the bench. I mean, I can get into that. I'm totally into that. But yeah, giving up the third or fourth pick for, for Lonzo Ball, yeah, I, I think that's too much. I probably wouldn't do it. I'd probably just look to get my point guard either in the draft or i hit free agency. But um, third or third or fourth pick for Lonzo Ball is probably too expensive for me. But uh, thanks to that, for Connor. Moving on to the next what if. This one comes in from Matt, and he asks, and this is about... Look, Matt, this is probably the most ridiculous one I've, I've actually seen come in. But he asks, what if Denzel Valentine actually turns out to be good if he's actually healthy? No, Matt, it's, it's not actually the most ridiculous one. I'm, I'm just being facetious because I've uh, obviously, obviously said a lot of disparaging things about Denzel Valentine over the years. But um, I mean, if I'm being serious, if Denzel actually comes back and is a good player next season, most importantly, that that's awesome for him. I mean an already athletic player missing an entire season because of ankle issues which has been a, a problem that sort of lingered throughout his career along with a host of other sort of knee issues if he can get his body right and have a good productive nba season it would mean that he's basically saved his career so for him i really do hope that, that happens because you never want to see a player sort of lose their nba career due to injury so firstly for denzel I'm really hoping he does come back a good and productive NBA player because that would be super for him. But for the Bulls, I mean, they need all the help they can get. So adding Valentine and him becoming a good player, if nothing else, he becomes a nice trade piece towards the deadline. He'll be entering his last season of his rookie deal. So if he's good, there may be a chance that you can trade him. But if you want to keep him going forward, he's a restricted free agent and he's a good player to add then maybe you can bring him back for a decent value. So there's also a scenario where you want to keep him if he's he's actually good. He'll probably never be a starter here in Chicago. And frankly, I I see very few scenarios where he starts anywhere else. But if Denzel can come back healthy and become a good player, meaning he adds some defense to the play he had already become, He's he's a valuable rotational player. The Bulls don't have enough of those guys. So adding one more can't hurt. So I really do hope Denzel... Comes back a a better player. I like to make fun of him mostly because of uh, the insane expectations that my friend Fred has for him, which you most of the people listening have probably seen on Twitter. But I really do hope Denzel can sort of come back and bounce back from his ankle issues. Like I said, uh, it it sucks when you see players get hurt and miss entire seasons and potentially it ruin their careers. So uh, fingers crossed for Denzel that he can sort of come back and bounce back from these injuries. That would be good for him, but good for the Bulls too. And if Chandler Hutchinson becomes a good player as well, suddenly Valentine and Hutchinson, maybe with Wayne Seldon as well, you've got some capable backups there. So hopefully that can happen for Denzel. Hopefully he can become a good player and hopefully Hutchinson and Selden can sort of hang around and become good players too. But if that happens, then the Bulls bench, which looked very weak this season, can be, you know, it can be at least competent and you'd have some confident some competent wing options to sort of call on when you when you send Zach and, and uh, Otto Porter to the bench. So fingers crossed that happens for all of those three players. But the next what if comes in from Jim and he asks, what if the Bulls had a competent front office? Uh, I mean, yeah, good point. I mean, this is probably the best place to finish to be honest with you. I mean, if the Bulls had one of those I wouldn't be whining to you guys and complaining about all the obvious missed opportunities in these what if scenarios. I probably wouldn't have had to do three, a uh, three part of what if scenario. That's for sure. I, I ranted quite heavily on the Doug McDermott stuff, the Spencer Dinwiddie stuff, the mismanagement of the Jimmy Bob, uh, Jimmy Butler situation, but, um, Oh, man. I mean, if the Bulls made good and sound decisions and, and did so constantly, then I'd be able to spend some more time with my family and my friends and my loved ones rather than whining about the Bulls on a podcast. So, that's one thing. That That's one thing that would happen in a what-if situation. But uh, <laughs> I mean, being serious, I think going through this process of doing this what-if sort of stuff and, and particularly on, on part one where we went over some scenarios where John Paxson actually did a lot of good stuff for the Bulls particularly in the first five years on the job. I mean, I can go back to that 2005 when he made that Eddie Curry trade. There was a period in time where I was a PAX apologist, believe it or not, because I thought he was a good GM. I thought he made a lot of good decisions, even Gar Foreman in 2011 or 2010 in that free agency period. Obviously, they missed out on LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, but I never held that against them because it was clear that those guys probably weren't coming to Chicago. It was nothing that Paxson and Gar could do that could influence their decision. Ultimately, it was on LeBron and Wade and Bosh to make that call, so I don't blame them for that, but they bounced back strongly from that and built that 60-win team, but... After two thousand and thirteen, or well, it was probably more closer to two thousand and fourteen, two thousand and fifteen, that's when things really started to go poorly. I mentioned the McDermott draft. That was bad, but from there on you had the the the, raid, the Wade and Rondo stuff, the, the the mismanagement of Butler's career in terms of not necessarily building a roster that made sense around him, which eventually lead you led you to cashing out your assets. And going for the 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 one last tomorrow with Rondo and Wade, and that failing, and which ultimately led to forcing the hand that the Bulls sort of had to do, which is trading Jimmy Butler and entering this rebuilding period. And maybe it all comes good if the rebuild sort of manifests itself into something greater than what a Jimmy Butler-led team could be. But I know a lot of fans think this rebuild is a sure thing and will be definitely greater than what a Butler-led team can be. But I don't know. We'll see. I hope so. I'm hoping you guys are right about that. Why would I not want that to be the case? But I'm not going to sit here and say that's definitely a guarantee. But whether it's Paxton or someone else, I just want some competence. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not asking for more than that. I don't think it's fair to ask more than that. A lot, of, a lot of, a lot of uh, what being a good GM comes down to is luck and just being in the right place at the right time. I think that's kind of hard to always bank on. But all I'm asking for is just more good decisions than bad. I think during the first five to seven years of Paxson's tenure, we got that. But after after that, it, it's sort of been one good decision and two or three bad ones. I mentioned the Dinwiddie situation on the previous podcast where trading for Dinwiddie was a good one, but then waiving him, trading for Mark, Michael Carter-Williams, and then trading for Cameron Payne. That's a situation where you make one good, good move, but then follow it up with two bad ones. So... I think that's been a consistent theme for the PAX and, and Foreman era in the last sort of four to five years. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we're in a rebuilding situation now. It's ultimately because of their, there's been more bad decisions from those two than good ones. It's it ultimately, it's that simple. So <laughs> here's to hoping for more competent decisions being made very soon. And maybe that can start at the draft, which is coming up in a few days. And like I said a few times, and I keep saying it to maybe convince myself, but maybe. Maybe a maybe Zion Williamson is walking through those doors. If not Zion, maybe Jamaran or someone like that. Maybe that changes everything, and maybe some good decisions flow on from from after that. Who knows? But uh, but on that cheerful note, that brings me to the end of the show, and that brings me to the end of these what if scenarios. Thank you for everyone that sent through your scenarios, and thank you to everyone who's uh, who's tuned in. Hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully it was a break from the usual. Sort of stuff where we have to talk about how bad the team was, how bad Jim Boylan is, how stupid this extension is, all that sort of stuff. Uh, hopefully, this was a nice diversion away from that. Hopefully, it was fun and entertaining. For you, the listener, it was for me going back and sort of researching this stuff. I mean, I took down a lot of notes and I I had forgotten some of this stuff, like particular things back in... To the year 2000 in that Kraus era and even the baby bull stuff if you forget some of the moves that the bulls have made and some of the transactions that Paxton made during his tenure his early tenure there and you, you forget some of this stuff but you go back and you think it over and there are a lot of good moments but I If you think about it too, there were a lot that we didn't really touch on. I'm surprised that no one mentioned like what if Michael Jordan never retired or what if things between Jordan and Krauss never soured and what if Jackson, Jordan, Pippen and Rodman ran it back for one season. I mean, that's an ultimate what if for these Bulls franchises. Yeah, I mentioned it before as well, but what happens if Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and, and Chris Bosh decided to come to Chicago in, instead of Miami? What 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 would happen in that situation? For maybe no one asked them because those ones have been done to death, to be honest with you, so fair enough too. But for now, that'll just about do. We've got the draft lottery coming up next week, and thank God for that. It's what we've all been waiting for. And it's effectively when we find out if Zion Williamson will it be a bull or not. Well, I'm, I'm assuming as much because I'm hoping if they do land the number one pick that they do take Zion Williamson. But we've got the lottery coming up. Fingers crossed that the number one pick will be granted to the Chicago Bulls. Let's, let's all will that into existence. You know, there's a lot of... There's a lot of disagreements between Bulls fans, but if there's one thing we can all agree on, that getting this number one pick is damn critical and, and very important to this franchise. And if we can get it, I think we can all be in agreement that that would be absolutely game changer for this franchise. So fingers crossed that happens. I'll be back next week to wrap up what occurs at the draft lottery and hopefully I'm, I'm caught talking to you guys about some good news. So, be on the lookout for this show in all the usual places next week. Follow Bulls HQ on Twitter at Bulls HQ Pod and follow me too while you're at it at MK Hoops. Also, if you're enjoying the show and have a spare few moments and feel like helping out your most favorite Australian Bulls podcast hosts, feel free to head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star review. I would very much appreciate that. And while you're at it, be sure to check out Blue Wire and all the NBA and NFL podcasts that we have on the on the network. I'm not much of a football fan, but I do know the NFL draft just wrapped up, and at Blue Wire we have you covered with a number of shows that go over all the NFL draft. And for you hoop heads, we have a roundtable podcast covering the NBA playoffs, which I know you guys will enjoy. And of course, we have Cash Considerations too, and other Chicago Bulls podcasts. If you're liking Bulls HQ, I'm sure you're going to love Cash Considerations too if by chance you're not listening. So head over to bluewirepods.com to check it out or type in Blue Wire on your podcast app on your cell. So check out all that. And as I've said, I'll be back again next week to go over the NBA draft lottery. So until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Speak soon.